You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we have a really good gear-focused BS session today with a run-and-gun whitetail hunter out of New Jersey. His name is Greg Litzinger, and uh, he's he. I would say he's known for uh, like heavy scouting, run-and-gun whitetail hunting in some pretty high-pressure crazy type uh terrain on the east coast and as we all know the closer you get to the atlantic ocean the more hunters there are meaning pressured deer so it's really important to uh you know do your scouting and come up with a game plan on how you're going to attack these animals and uh greg does it every single year and he uh you know he's he's a guy that i i look at respect and i wanted to get him on the hunting gear podcast here and talk about the gear that he uses and not just the gear that he uses now but the evolution from when he started hunting what his gear was like what his budget was like to today um just for an example you know he talks about uh, how he used to hunt from the ground and then he got a tree stand and then he got a lock on lone wolf system and now he runs a saddle and and just the evolution in products uh, everything from boots and clothing uh and you know uh arrows and broadheads and bows to uh you know what he's shooting today so it's a, it's a really good bs conversation we have some fun in this episode and it's always it's always cool uh, on two parts here it's always cool to look back at the gear that we used to use and laugh at it a little bit and at the same time see how others hunt and the gear that they feel confident in and like uh, both myself and Greg say in this episode it is about confidence if you're confident in your equipment and you're not thinking about it at the moment of truth then uh, it's a truly a good piece of equipment for you 
So uh, really good episode on, uh, I must say, on this. But before we get into the episode, we're going to do a little commercial slot here. Uh, first uh, commercial goes to The Average Conservationist. Now, The Average Conservationist not only is a podcast here on the Sportsman's Nation, but it is a apparel company that donates 10% of its earnings to a conservation effort uh, in some way, shape, or form. I think they in the past they've donated to the National Deer Association and some other local um, uh, conservation orgs up uh, in Michigan where Marcus, the owner, lives. And, uh, not a, you know, you say conservation, and sometimes you think not cool, but it's really cool. Their apparel line is badass, man. They have some really cool logo tees, some really good hats, uh, hoodies. I'm a huge fan of their camo hoodie. Um, they have an average conservationist hat. There's a big patch on the front that says the average conservationist. Huge fan of that hat. That's my number one. That's my uh, go out to dinner with the wife hat. I'll say that. And um, what I will say is you need to go to the average conservationist, the average conservationist.com. Check out their lineup. Like, like I said, man, really high quality clothes. It's and the cool thing about their t-shirts. It's the dad bod make you look good t-shirt. So it's tight. You know, it's not, I'm not going to say tight, but it, it's form fitting in the chest and arms and it's loose around the gut. So it makes you look good <laughs> and they're soft. So uh, I like, uh, I like that fact as well. And uh, while you're there, why don't you use a discount code? And if I can find it here, it is NFC10. NFC10. And that's going to get you 10% off of your purchase. So uh, not only does it look good, but know that when you buy a hat or a hoodie or a shirt uh, from the average conservationist, you're also, you know, 10% of that is going back to conservation. So in a way, you're kind of donating to conservation yourself. So theaverageconservationist.com. And, you know, it's funny that we're talking about this next brand, Lone Wolf uh, Portable Tree Stands, because we talk, me and Greg both talk about how though that product specifically in this episode was, almost, was really groundbreaking for us. It allowed us to change how we hunted, right? It allowed us to be mobile hunters. And, uh, you know, he talks about the assault and four sticks. My favorite tree stand in the world is the assault and four sticks. And, uh, that gets me anywhere I want to go. Crooked trees, trees with a lot of branches, um, short, you can get as high as you want or as low as you want. And, uh, and really you can customize it to the tree that you need to be in. Not, not a close enough tree, but the right tree. And sometimes five yards can make a difference in the, in the woods. Right. So, um, go, you know, go, go to the internet and type in lone wolf portable tree stands, man. And, uh, take a look at the assault, take a look at the alpha. That's a little bit bigger platform. I use the alphas. Um, what do I do? What do I use the alphas for? I use those more of a permanent set. So at the beginning of the season, I'll set the bigger platform alphas up in uh, historically good rut spots like uh, a, a staging area between a bedding area and a, and a egg field, uh, uh, a staging area. Uh, I, I use them on some big uh, travel corridors, some big pinch points, stuff that, you know, if I, if I can't get a buck pinned down or located, I go to my rut spots and kind of start from scratch. So those rut spots are alphas and the assault and four sticks are my running gun setup. So, uh, 
yeah lone wolf man go check them out and i got a discount code here for you as well so at checkout enter the discount code 9fc21 9fc21 and that's going to save you 50 dollars off all purchases over 200 bucks that's a really good that is a really good deal and uh that's shipped directly to your door uh and it's a badass American-made company. So uh, Lone Wolf uh, Portable Tree Stands. And that's it. Let's get into today's, we'll call it a gear BS session with Greg Litzinger. All right, on the phone with me today, all the way from the East Coast, Greg Litzinger. Greg, what's up, man? What's happening? Oh, you know, just another dreary day in Iowa. I, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we haven't had a lot of sun this spring and it's been cold as shit here in Iowa, and I don't like it. I'm ready to get out and start putting trail cameras up and all that stuff. It's been it's cold today. Yesterday it was really cold. It's sunny out and windy, but it's it's definitely cold here in Jersey too. Like I left the house in shorts this morning. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, you know, it's like that two a.m. wake up call. Like oh, I'm not paying attention. Step outside. Like oh, that's cold. Get some of that. That'll wake you up real fast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's kind of let's kind of uh, backpedal a second, and I want to ask you: How was your twenty uh, twenty season? Pretty good. Um, shot three deer, two bucks and a doe. Um, I lost a really big deer, which was, I mean, bound to happen sooner or later. I think I made it. I don't know, ten years before losing a deer. So yeah, I guess I was do i guess if you will but fantastic season as far as you know killing and seeing yeah. and having a good time making it fun again i guess i hate saying that word killing's not fun but it was more enjoyable this year yeah than it has been for me recently and and why do you think that is uh i didn't have a lot of expectations you know i kind of went more you know as my buddy Clinton says, like freestyle, freelance hunting. Yeah. I had like certain areas, but I was pretty much just hunting to hunt, hunting, you know, fresh sign, just enjoying uh, the moment, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, do you run a lot of trail cameras? I do. Um, I've been getting into it more just yeah. because of family, you know, uh, but yeah. This year I had probably about 12 out, I guess, off and on, never consistent. You know, I usually, I'll leave them out for a long length of time. Last year was the first year I actually was checking them a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, And that was kind of interesting. Yeah. added a new uh, method of hunting, I guess, because some areas definitely were off this year. So I'm kind of glad I didn't waste any time there. The cameras were like, yeah, this place is beat. Yeah. So... That was nice. So I'm not, you know, wasting precious time, you know, hunting in an area where there's not a mature deer that yeah. I like to shoot. Well, I'll tell you this, man. I, I, I often think about what trail cameras have done for me and to me uh, over the years. And it's like, okay, I got a picture of a buck. He's going to make the hit list. Now I have to go find a place to hunt him where, you know, I got this trail camera picture mm-hmm. of him. And, and I go in there. And I know he's in the area somewhere in some way, shape or form because I got a trail camera picture, but 
But now I have these expectations of this is the only mm. buck I'm going to shoot. So either I let some some not great bucks, but some decent bucks walk in hopes that this guy comes in or I, I'm sitting in the tree and I'm sitting there going, well, if he comes, he comes. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And back in the day, like what you were saying, this freestyle type hunting where I didn't have any knowledge. I just was going off fresh sign. I was getting into a tree in a, in a pinch point or some terrain feature. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, uh, anything could happen right now. Anything could happen. Yeah. And, and anything could happen, you know, at any time really anyways. But there's a level of information that trail cameras have given me over the years that have taken away some of the uh quote unquote surprises uh, of deer yeah. that are in the area if that makes sense yeah i um i'm in the same boat i have some areas that i refuse to put cameras in because um i've been hunting them so long and like i know what's out there i know what that area is capable of having like the some of the salt marshes plus it's just pain that set them you know i gotta take the canoe in with the tide or whatever but i don't want to know what's coming in yeah i, I want to keep some areas that are just free open so like yeah. you said you don't know you know, you can expect the unexpected so to speak yeah yeah some areas I'll, I'll camera bomb but there's some areas i just can't bring myself to do it because i i don't want to know what's out there yeah <laughs> yeah and that's and, and that's how i am now i am doing this cast a wide net type i i, I heard this mm. uh method uh or this uh, approach described by bill winky as casting a large net and then when you get a, a big uh, big buck or a mature buck or a hitless buck on camera you bring your tr your uh, trail cameras into that area more trail cameras into the mm -hmm. area to really hopefully refine a deer's movement and like i do that but then i'm i almost feel disappointed when he doesn't show up or i can't figure him yeah. out and, and and that that deer could be anywhere right we, we don't have mm -hmm. a, a camera on every tree so um I don't know. I, I like trail cameras, but at the same time, they take away, they take away something. And I'm not quite sure yeah. what that is yet. It's a surprise. Yeah. You know, we, when you go fishing, you know, you don't know what you're going to catch. You're just something big. at the end of the line. And, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of fishing and, you know, from the bank and night fishing and whatnot. And you know, like saltwater fishing. So there's always that surprise factor. Like you hook into something big, but what is it? Don't know. You got to reel it in figure out so having some areas that you know i don't run cameras i it keeps me not knowing i guess yeah yeah it's probably the best way to put it and keeps it fresh and exciting for me yeah i feel you um let's talk about gear today uh and right. we've already talked a little bit about trail cameras now so let's go let's uh jump into the gear and i kind of want to start way back right how old were you how old were you when you first started bow hunting by yourself right from jump street i was 14 when i started but my dad back then like there was no buddy stands or two-man ladder stands my dad would be like all right sit here i'll be back in four hours Don't move. <laughs> same here man <laughs> uh, yeah and uh so it's like, you never know. Like, I didn't know. Like first time I ever pulled back on a deer, I didn't have my dad tell me when to pull back, when yeah. to do this, when to do that. Like, uh, so I learned, yeah, hunting with my dad, but I was pretty much on my own. And my dad would drop me off and my mom would drop me off a, a few times. You know, my, my parents were pretty cool with that. And by the time I was 15, yeah, yeah, the following year, I, I was hunting on my own, me and my buddy, more than my dad. 
Yeah. Uh, we still hunt with my dad, but you want to hunt with your buddy. It's way cooler, you know? Yeah. Because maybe I just wanted to do things on my own or I just wanted to hunt my own particular way. Like my dad was, he's great at sitting and waiting, but when you're a kid, you can't sit and wait. Like I want to yeah. move around. Yeah. So me and my dad, we butt heads a lot because he's like, sit still. Or like I, I was watching you, you can't stop moving. I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm 15 or 14, like I can't sit still. It's not in the car. I just drank a Mountain Dew. Of course, I'm not sitting still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, do you remember some of the first gear that you ever had, like your first bow or, or your first camo outfit or or anything like that? I hand me down army fatigues and a flannel jacket. Um, definitely nothing insulated. It was just layers upon layers. You know, 200-gram insulated leather boots or old Kmart rubber boots with steel shank, like no traction, the little lace at the top, you know. Yep. Uh, I I had, you know, back then, all the risers were wood. Like my, my first bow, I had a wooden riser, big old two-by-four grip on it, you know, aluminum arrows, yep. uh, flipper rest, you know, <laughs> Taking your pins, the little brass pins, dipping them in the white paint, like you like it's gonna make a difference. Right. But you did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and every every pin was independent. And I yeah. I remember I remember back then, um, I had a I think it was a three pin site, and I didn't know anything about archery when I was like thirteen years old, other than, uh, all right, you stand here and then you try to adjust the, you know, I had some old timer teach me how to adjust the pins and i had one pin way up here and then my other pin was way left and my other pin was way right and i'm just like god this doesn't make sense but for me it's working i guess (laughs) yeah and you know shooting 20 yards is far yeah back then like i mean first of all the bows were slow and i mean i was shooting 35 pounds maybe 40 pounds when i was that age so it's like 20 yards is like it's always noisy, both like, bang, and it's like this <laughs> giant arc, and you're like, sitting 20 yards, it's actually an arc on your arrow, it's so slow, it could, simpler, simpler time, shooting finger, like finger tabs, no releases, you know, pull yeah. back a bow, a 50% let off with just fingers. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. Good times. Yep. I, uh, I can remember the first time I forgot my release back, uh, in the, in the truck and I tried to do the fingers and it hurt so bad. It hurt my fingers so bad. And I thought I was tough. And then I, I realized I wasn't tough anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And the old, uh, when releases first came out, they had the little metal D loop, you know, they were, they were, yeah. 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 They were, you know, they were cool, you know, and rubber, rubber peep tubes breaking, yep. snapping you in the eye. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Good times. I heard a conversation a while back where they were talking about, um, if you took some of the first compound bows, uh, and had, uh, they said that there, there was clickers on them. So, you know, when you mm-hmm. had to get the cable changed or it, cause mm-hmm. if it went too many times, it might break and you might get stitches in your face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the teardrop cables, you know, it's like, oh, I got to change the drawing, just put a longer teardrop or a longer string on it, just mess the whole timing up on the bow. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, so archaic. Yeah. People don't know how good they have it today. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I mentioned this in another podcast, even if you go two or three years these days, mm-hmm. 
and you shoot a, you shoot your bow and you're like, oh man, I love my bow. I love my bow. And then you grab the new flagship model from whatever brand and you shoot it compared to whatever bow you had four years ago. You're just like, holy yeah. smokes, man. It's, yeah. it's still, even in that and short of time, it's day and night difference. Yeah. I I never, I used to compete archery and my coach at the time had, you know, the, the flagship Hoyt. And I was like, it's just a bow. I didn't like, I just, I competed with a hunting bow. So I actually shot his bow one day and I was like, wow, there really is a difference. Like the engineering that goes in, you know, behind it. And I'm like, this is nice. So I was like, how much does this cost? And I was like, that's too much for me. I was like, I'll just keep my bow. Yeah. Now, uh, as you know, army fatigues, hand-me-down bow, all that stuff. Do you, uh, aluminum arrows, do you remember your first broadhead? Thunderheads. Thunderheads, yep. Popular. Yep. Thunderhead 125, and actually, it's funny. I'm looking at a bow I bought when I was 16, 17, yeah, 17, old high country. I still got aluminum arrows. I got uh, Thunderhead, they're, they're 125s. I got feathers. With a heel pull, and I shot like a flip arrest with shooting with a release, like a very simple, basic bow, seventy pounds. And I mean, the you look at the heavy arrow craze now. Like in high school, I shot seventy pounds, twenty five fourteens with Thunderhead one sixties. It was probably like a seven seven hundred <laughs> six hundred grain arrow, you right. know? Right. And it was like people now it's like, ah, oh, heavy arrows are a thing. I'm like. Been there, done that, man. Long time ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and there was actually arch in archery. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> like what you said earlier. There, you would see the arrow curve down, and it wasn't going very fast, yeah. but it was arching to where <laughs> wherever it goes. And now it's just rockets everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's because I've they said I, I grew up in that archery was nothing, and then it was just on the beginning of becoming something. Yeah, and. I remember the first, you know, you know, carbon arrows, the old Beemans with the outserts. And I remember shooting a deer with a carbon arrow. I was proud to be 19 when I shot carbon the first time. And I could shoot out to 30 yards with one pin. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. One pin out to 30 yards, hold it high for 30, you know, at 15, hold it low. One pin was great. Yeah. I remember zipping through this buck, um, biggest buck at the time. He just jumped up. I'm just watching the blood pour out. He didn't even know what happened. Like, it was, like, so fast, and the broadhead was so sharp. He didn't even know he was hit. He yeah. was, like, looking around, and, like, he took a couple of steps and fell over. I'm like, this is so cool. Because <laughs> before, you know, the aluminum arrows, it was just, like, straight weight. Like, the deer knew it was getting hit. Yeah. You know, it was like getting hit by the Mack truck, and then I zip right through him, and he didn't even know. It was pretty, uh, pretty cool. And I bet you felt like a badass at that point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I was cutting from the ground. Yeah. You know, I shot him and I'm like, I'm king of the world, you know, yeah. drive around town, tailgate down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Check this out, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was, uh, do you have a, a memory of maybe a, a bow or a piece of gear when you were younger? that you're like, man, I really need this. I don't have money for it right now, but I'm going to save. And then you went out and bought it. It was, um, had to be like halfway through my first season. I was so small when I was 14. Like I was looked like I was like 10 and my dad had Baker tree stands. You know, bear hug, you climb up the tree and death traps. Basically I was so weak and small. Like I couldn't climb up the tree. 
So I bought a six-pound hang-on. It was bolt-together hang-on from Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's. And I bought a few screwing steps, and then I had a couple rope steps. I think my dad made them out of like two-by-fours or something, ropes or whatever, and made like a little Chinese finger thing, like tie on them. And I thought that was so cool because I could actually hunt in a tree. I'd have to sit there, you know, screwing the steps, you know, which sucked. And then, like, do these little block steps and come with other rope steps. But if I would actually hunt from a tree with a little six-pound hang-on, I thought it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Um, so it, the first the first purchase was a tree stand. Yeah, that I remember purchasing for myself, yes. Yeah, yeah. My dad got my first bow, and that was mid-season. I was like, because I was always hunting on the ground. It's like, you know, I can't talk sit still, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. need to get up in the air and... So I, I bought that, and then that was, you know, pretty cool to be able to sit above and have deer come underneath you and stuff like that. Yeah. What did that do to you? Did it did it lead to any type of success or a new way of thinking? I, you know, we know you now as this very mobile hunter. Um, was that the start yeah. of it, or? Yeah. 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 Like my my father, like we never hunted the same because I've always hunted public. We never, I never had access to private. Um, you know, never really until I was way older. So we always hunted a little bit of public and we'd always hunt a different spot. So we were, I was mobile before I knew what mobile was, I guess, because every time we went out, it was a new spot, either by canoe or, you know, get dropped off and had the mom pick us up. But having that tree stand allowed me to get to areas, you know, or sea and, and stuff like that. So I guess that would be, you know, I guess the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this tree stand kind of led you to being a little bit more mobile. Was was that a, a climber at all? No, it was a hang on. A hang on. Okay. Uh, yeah. What, yeah, what like, were you using for six, the actual to gain elevation? Was there sticks? Like that? Yeah, screwing steps. Okay. You know, which were, were illegal illegal at the time, but I don't know. I was a kid. So yeah. I just used. Every time I went out, I had to do screwing steps, which is awful. Yeah. You know, go 15 feet, you got you know, eight, nine steps. It takes me a half hour to a tree stand basically. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> like I couldn't hunt oaks. Like yeah. I couldn't hunt oaks because I could, I'd be screwing all day, like getting nowhere. Like I, I've literally set up before like six feet off the ground. Cause I got tired of screwing steps. In. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, man. Uh, back in the day, uh, I was on a farm where I had this giant tree and it was too big, uh, to put the, the lone wolf straps around right it's mm-hmm. i mean it's a big tree and it didn't start getting thinner till up in the up at the top so i had to go buy some uh i had to go buy some screwing steps those green ones yeah. from like walmart yeah. or wherever and they're not sharp back then they weren't sharp yeah. and so you're sitting there having to put all your weight into it and try to get it just to get it started but all <laughs> it's doing is boring out this hole and you can't even get yeah. you can't even get past the the bark and uh, finally yeah. like you said it took me 45 minutes to get three or four steps in and i, and I was just like fuck yeah. it i'm gonna try to uh climb this tree and, and with my hang on on my back stand on a limb and just put yeah. put it up somewhere so yeah yeah it's uh and i think i think the following when i was 16 my dad bought me you know a loggy bayou climber and that was you know super light you know, I could eat, climb and bear, you know, old bear hugging trees back in the days, you know, I had abs of steel at 16. I had asked for 
everybody knew what abs was. <laughs> <laughs> or was that because you said you were small too? Yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now, as you as you started getting older, um, and uh, like how how old were you when you started this uh, to see success? from the gear that led you to be more mobile how old were you i think at, at, at 15 i killed my first deer was a buck and i shot him in the area we scouted all summer and that was with the hang on yeah i put screwing steps in and and that was the first deer i ever killed was from that stand and then when i got to loggy bayou it was literally um a lot easier i could hunt a lot more and i got bigger and stronger but i can get up 20 feet Allowed me, you know, 18 and 20 feet was, I would say, I hate using the word game changer, but you got out of deer sight. Yeah. So I started killing a lot more because I was just up out of sight. You yeah. know, I wasn't 12 feet anymore. I was 20. And it's like, wow. And then probably when I got about 18, I had 30 foot of haul line and I would, a few trees, like, cause you'd set the log, you buy you up. I'd set up like six feet off the ground. The stand be like pointing straight up. Cause I know I'm going 30 feet. I'll just go 30 feet, you know, like so sketchy, not using safety belt climbing, like just everything you should not be doing. Yeah. I did because we, we just didn't know, you know, there wasn't what we have now. Yeah. And I mean, it was, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a massacre, but I mean, there was some seasons I kill. It was all about numbers. It wasn't about bucks. I mean, kill five, six deer a year with a bow just because you're 30 feet up, you're not getting winded. You're not getting seen, you know? <laughs> right. It was like a contest. Who can hunt the highest? Right. It's so sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> and at, at that, at, and at that height, man, there, I don't think scent really plays a, a big issue no. at, at all. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, when I was hunting that high, I've hardly ever got winded. I would actually get seen because you skyline yourself so high. Deer were like, what the fuck is that up there? Like, <laughs> you know, cause, you know, cause you're like out of the tree line, you know? So it's like, wait a minute, hunting too high. Can you, you get seen instead of smelled, you know? Right. So yeah. the, all right. So as you start to, you know, it sounds like this, this tree stand, uh, allowed you to, uh, get, have more success just from getting higher off the yeah. ground and, and, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. How old were you then when you started, I guess, when would you say you were the, the Greg that we all know now? Like how old were you when you started doing this heavy scouting, when you were do real mobile and roughly how old were you then? Let's see. I, it took me, I was 33. So I hunted 19 years before I killed a, a quote unquote big deer. So I struggled for 19 years to kill. You know, I killed deer, but they weren't like big deer. What you know, people say big deer. Yeah. So, so figure 30, about 30 is when I really started taking things serious. Like, okay. uh, cause I, cause I hunt and all my friends are killing these deer and like, cause I snowboard. I did all these, like I had a lot of other things. I fished, I snowboarded, turkey hunted, you know, all these things. So about 30, I started taking some things seriously and it's like, I want to kill a big deer. Yeah. Like I'm tired of killing a year and a half, two and a half year olds. Like I want to kill a three and a half, yeah. you know, four and a half. And that's when just reading uh, the the internet, the forums, archery talk back in the day, you know, was phenomenal. I learned a lot. You know, Eberhard's books, Greg Miller's books, the old Miles Keller, you know, the old Moon Guide, yep. stuff like that. Moonstruck, I think it was. Yep. And I would just immerse myself in that and just spend 
every chance I get in the woods, yeah, you know, and that's, that's when, you know, I guess the, the bow hunting theme was born probably. Yeah. 30. So, so around, around that time when you, when you said to yourself, Hey man, I want to, I want to go after mature bucks. It's going to take, you knew it was going to take a different uh, mentality and a different approach to yeah. it. As you, uh, made that change, did you make any investments in your gear to upgrade or drop some coin on, you know, a new bow or a new tree stand or a new camo the, or anything like that? Lone Wolf Climber was the first. So like I said, the loggy bio was noisy. And I remember I was probably 25, 24 maybe, when I used, probably 21, I used a, a original Lone Wolf Climber with this guy in a club. And I'm like, this thing is silent. Two-piece, you're not bear-hugging a tree. Yeah. And, I, you know, back then I didn't have a lot of money. It, it took me like two years to save up to get the climber. And then that was like the, all right, this is quiet. I like this. I can literally climb up and see deer and they don't move. And then I wanted to transition into hunting, um, they said, closer to bedding areas. And the climber was still kind of noisy, and that's when I bought the limb with hang-on and sticks. I was 24, I think, when I got yeah. them, 25, the, the hang-on. And that was the biggest uh, boost for me as far as being able to learn how to set up or get in trees I never could hunt it before because I always had climbers. Yeah. So, you know, 25, 26, the, the hang-on came into play. Yeah. And then all that kind of, like, wrapped up into one where I'm like, all right, you know, and I spent a, a – a good time learning how to use it properly. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have no facts, uh, or any type of statistics to back this comment up. So take it with a grain of salt, but I would say, I mean, all every big buck killer that I knew back in the day when I was younger, early twenties, late teens was using a lone wolf, hang on and sticks. And these guys yeah. were slaying giants every single year. So yeah. I said to myself, Hey man, I got to try to have, get one of these someday. And yeah. so w- when I say that, I, I, I bet you that lone, that, that original lone wolf is probably the, that sticks and the hang ons are probably led to the demise of some of the biggest deer. Like n- yeah. nobody's ever heard of. Absolutely. That I, I completely agree with that because like I said a bow, I mean, isn't going to make you a killer necessarily, right. but being able to set up quietly and cause I mean, my, my loggy bayou, I mean, to this day, there's three deer from hunting that loggy bayou that the staying creaked that they were 10 yards and you go to shift and staying creeks and the buck runs Yep. three bucks to this day that I wouldn't say haunt me, but I still think about those deer and it's like, fuck. and if I would have had the, even just the climber, a little climber, those three deer, I would have killed my first big deer at 19 years old, yeah, 20 years old, like a like a mega giant. You know, the, I I don't even have a deer in the wall that's that big now. There's giant ten pointer, and I had him in range, you know, three or four times, and the stand, you know, stand got me. Yeah, you know, the loggy body just got me, and it's like, fuck, it sucks. Yeah, you know, and then have it happen like two a few more times, and the lone wolf, I've never had an issue, yeah, uh, with a cast uh, platform. Yeah. And that's, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, man, uh, that, that product right there taught me a lot about big bucks. It, 
uh, it allowed me to get closer to just see deer behavior. Um, and, and once a guy can, and, and this is in my opinion, but once a, once a guy can start learning deer behavior, it opens up a whole nother window of thought process, uh, how he can get on, you know, it's like, Oh my God, he's calm when I'm right here, or he's aggressive in this scenario, or look how he, this buck acts in a group of does versus a bachelor group or whatever. And it's just like, Hey, I can get away with this or I can, uh, you know, take this access route or whatever. And I don't know, man, that product right there is the reason I is the reason I'm a mobile hunter. Yeah. Um, I, you know, a, I, you know, my, my buddy Clint, he came up with this one. Him and I did. He called it like mobile stealth. Like today's technology allows people to be stealthy but also mobile. Yeah. You know, and, you know, because I used to carry four sticks, even sometimes five sticks and hang on. Dude, that shit's heavy, man. Yeah. Like that should wear you out. And I hunt all public. I have so many trailheads. You know, I'm a mile into the marsh, come across this marsh, all this weight. And like my transition from what I use then to what I use now is, is great because, you know, I'm a, a saddle guy in a small platform Yeah, and I've adapted to that pretty well. And it's, that's allowed me to get in some areas that hang on and sticks. It's just, it's a pain in the ass to get to. Yeah. Uh, it kind of streamlined the process for me, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, what led you to, take that next step into the saddle then from, from a, a lone wolf and, and uh, sticks into a, a saddle. I was, I had old school, um, lone wolf assassin harness and platform I used for years. Um, and that was great for a little hour to sit, you know, that was uh, the marsh you're only three feet off the ground. I don't need a big, you know, or hunt some thickets, you know, or field overgrown field. You're literally, you know, three feet off the ground. So the assassin platform was what got me into that method, I guess, of facing the tree and and using a harness. And then the trophy line diaper thing came out. I bought one of them used. I hated it. It was uncomfortable. It was bulky. I'm like, I'm not saving any weight. And then I was sent a saddle. uh, And that was like, wow, the new stuff is pretty legit. You know, and it was a, a learning curve. I had a big learning curve with it. I mean, the saddle cost me a, a few does. Yeah. You know, the first the first season, I really wasn't a fan of it because you know, you're used to hunting a certain way for so long. And it's like, oh, here's this, how to set it up and when to set it up, you know, when to move. But now I got to kind of figure it out, you know, what works for me. Yeah. Saddle-wise. Yeah. So now, you know, like, you see these evolutions in products or, or maybe not even an evolution, but like a, a, a method change of how you approach hunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you go from this noisy climber to a tree stand. You went from one noisy tree yeah. stand to a quiet tree stand. Um, you yeah. went, you went from, uh, a, a, a really good tree stand to the saddle method. Um, yeah. do you think there's anything after a saddle that can be done because this there was a saddle craze back in the day i think it was in the in the the 90s at some point um yeah you know and a lot of guys were like oh no way that works and and obviously now there's a bigger 
uh, channel to distribute that information of how a saddle can be, you know, could help a guy. Um, do yeah. you, do you see from using a saddle that there is potential for something lighter, faster, quicker, and, and does the same job yeah. of what you're currently doing? I, I mean, cause I, I hunt a lot of older guys and there's a lot of the guys I hunt that, you know, they transition to recurve and they transition to ground hunting only. Uh, I, they do it for the challenge. As far as like saddle, I mean, you can make it thinner and lighter. You know, there's going to be always lighter fabrics out, but uh, how how light can you really get it? Yeah. You know, that's still comfortable. You know, um, you can have ultra light anything, even like some of the the micro tree stands. You know, like my buddy's got the the Loom of Custom Point Five, the little mini one. Yep. Like I got size eleven boots. Yeah. I wouldn't want to hunt out of that thing for any length of time. It's just like, well, this doesn't fit me. You know, I don't have much movement on the actual platform, you know, and I'm a little guy, but it's like, by the time I put rubber boots on, I'm like, yeah, can't go smaller and you can't really get much lighter and, and be safe, I guess. Yeah. I guess you could, you know, materials are always changing, yeah. but I mean, that's where we're at now. The machining, um, we have the capability to machine better products now, water jet and stuff like that. So you can actually have a smaller, you know, less material water jetted out at a piece of a, you know, a piece of steel or aluminum, but as far as getting any lighter, I just, I just don't know. Yeah. Carbon fiber. I mean, that's the next Yeah. evolution. I would, I would say, you know, I know they got the carbon fiber sticks that are out and some other carbon fiber products. So carbon fiber, some type of impact resistant resin carbon fiber, maybe. Yeah. Something that's going to be quiet and, uh, you know, cause yeah. you know, I've got carbon fiber things in my house and, and tools that I use. Uh, yeah. but it, then you start talking about cost, right. And at what point yeah. it's like, for example, um, you know, some of these tree stands are on the market. You can get like a, a lone wolf right now is, is two fifty, uh, roughly for, yeah. for an assault or something. Uh, I don't know, two thirty or two fifty for, you know, the, the lone wolves, but yeah. then like the beast, the beast stand, is way more expensive than that and mm-hmm. that's expensive so there's got to be a point from a business standpoint where it's like jesus man a 700 or 800 dollar tree stand there's no way i would do it unless right unless it's yeah. so functional that it's a no-brainer to to use the yeah. the style that well, a, a running gun guy well, would use it yeah i i look at it from um like the diehards you know, the diehards, like, I, I mean, I got my limb of hang on damn near two decades. Yeah. I'll never get rid of it. Yep. It's still going to stay here. I'll probably hardly ever use it or rarely use it, but it's an investment. I've had it for 20 years. It's the only, you know, outside of my old bow I got looking at, you know, I could still use it. 20 years from now, that stand could still work. Yeah. So it's an investment. You buy it one and done. But like I said, from a business standpoint, how are you going to make money when you literally built the ultimate hang on you know, like yeah. like dan like his beast like that stands pretty legit yeah well you buy it once and you're done these guys that buy like stands like it's it's like a bow it's you know yeah. those really haven't changed these last you know in the last five years you know they tweak it a little bit quieter but like a stand you know you you get it so light and so perfect how do you sustain making money on it which yeah. is something i always thought how how businesses could stay afloat yeah. you know at that cost 
But yeah. then again, you're buying it, and I guess people are buying them. If they're yeah. making them, that means there's a market for them. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about clothing uh, for, for a second, because I'd love to hear your take on this. Like, whether it's staying warm or dry or cool, depending on what kind of scenario you're hunting in, what are you looking for? for a uh, uh, apparel or outfit walking into the timber the the style of hunting that you hunt and how do you break down your garments i would you know i i'm a sweater i don't know why in the wintertime like because I, I could i walk pretty far so i have to i even in the wintertime I, i'm wearing ultralight stuff out and in the summertime it's not too bad or fall early fall but as the season progresses it gets harder and harder for me because I'm packing so much, you know, on like I'm zip, you know, or compression strapping so many clothing onto my backpack. It's becoming a little bit bulky, a little bit cumbersome because I, I streamline down to a backpack and the saddle, but now I got all this extra gear on it. So for me, it's, I'm, I'm kind of torn right now uh, with gear because I, I like some of the, the clothing that's out, but I'm also cheap. Yeah. So I wish somebody would make like a, a functional one piece coverall, windproof, quiet, everything you want. That way I can just roll it up, <laughs> carry it underneath my arm or something and, and be ready, be ready to go. That's what sick of first light coveralls, man. Warmest thing out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tell you this, man, it's almost like, um, have you ever hunted out of, uh, what are those heater body suits? I, I, my bar, my buddies. Iwam, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, when I hunted out of tree stand, but in the saddle, those things don't aren't the best. Right. You you kind of lose a little bit of mobility because they're kind of bulky. Yeah. So that's I would love that his Iwa. He's got the Predator Fall Gray Iwam. I mean, in the late season December, I mean that thing looks great up in the tree. Yeah. <laughs> a great camo pattern, and he's always warm. And it's like, man, I really wish I can have one of those things. Yeah, because I hate being cold. Cold's be, being cold's the worst. It is. Yeah, I'd rather sweat to death than being cold. When you're freezing, it makes for a three-hour sit seems like it's an eternity. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I feel you, man. So you wish that there was a, um, like a full body coverall that you would put on at the base of the stand before you put on your saddle. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You know, old old school coverall. You know, because I use them for workout, I and mean, sometimes I got to work outside at work. Uh, just a, a lightly insulated Carhartt coverall keeps you warm. Yeah, you know, keeps warm like it's it's like a giant sleeping bag, man. You need to stay warm. Yeah, but if they can make it thin, quiet, and like for the bow hunter, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, be like someone like if Sick had designed the coverall or First Light, people that got like all the smarts, all the brains, designers, <laughs> make it slim and trim. They could sell, man. Yeah, they could sell a, a ton because I've tried to stick the gear stuff on. It, it's nice. But I can't spend that type of money for bibs and a jacket. Yeah, I just can't do it. Or like even like some of the first place stuff, like two hundred fifty, three dollars for a pair of pants. I can't do it. Yeah, just can't do it because I tear my clothing up. I mean, all my gear gets just destroyed. Yeah, I mean, I might get three or four years out of it, and I'm like, I had to buy nine hundred dollars worth of gear every couple of years. I'd probably go insane. Yeah. Well, and there's like I've I've found this out in the last couple of years. There are other products out there that do the same exact thing and they're not 
uh, I guess you would say hunting specific, right? They don't have a camo pattern. Like this year, my entire season was done in solid colors. I did, I had a brown sweater from L.L. Bean. I had some, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, basically they were Dickie. Donnie Vincent style. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I, everything was exactly the same. I shot my deer from the ground, uh, this year. Uh, I, I had a lot of encounters, you know, while I was in my tree stand and, and all this stuff, man, I'm mm-hmm. telling you right now, I, I don't think that camo is as important. I, even my mule deer hunts out West, I don't think mm-hmm. camo is as important as people think it is. No. I mean, yeah. you look at, I mean, deer, deer aren't camo. They're just yeah. brown. Yeah. You know, ducks, I mean, they're, they're, they're lightly heat to them. And, uh, I mean, look at natural camo. Yep. You know, like I hunt with some guy. I, I know some guys that hunt. And if they're not moving in the woods wearing that stuff, you can't see them. Yeah. They just disappear. They blend into nothing. Yeah. They're like, or your eyes just don't pick up on it. It's like, that person? You know, and they're only 34 yards away. It's like, you know, and then you see him like move his hand. You're like, oh, there he is. You know, because it looks out of place. But then you're like, wait a minute. There's nothing there. Yeah. And then they see a hand move like, oh shit, there's somebody over there. Yeah. <laughs> what's your uh what's your go to boot for early season and then maybe cold weather? Uh early season I use the the gum leaf rubbers. Those things are crazy comfortable. And if I'm in the mountains, I use I actually change cuz I hate cold feet, so when I hunt the mountains or even starts to get colder around here, if I'm hunt, wearing leather boots, our uninsulated leathers and the thinnest wool sock possible. And I use, I mean, I got these old, um, the booties there, the zip up booties. Yeah. They're, Arctic shield. I, from, yeah, yeah. Mine are like 15 years old, maybe okay. even older than that. Like I got, you know, they, they got, what's that mossy oak? Is it, was it breakup? That black mossy oak camo that was just everybody bought, but like it's that camo pattern. Okay. And I use that and I throw like a hand warmer in there. And boom, my feet are good. Um, but as far as I mean, I I wear believe it or not, I wear waders a lot when it's really cold. If I got to wear rubber boots, um, I got some hip waders, frog togs, and I just uh, you know if I got to cross any type of water, I mean I, I have no problem wearing hip waders. They're yeah. warm, and my feet don't get cold. And that's how I, I approach my boot selection now. You know, at the distance. And the time of year, I'm like the, where I'm going to be hunting. Because yeah. having cold, like you say, cold feet, it's just, you might as well just leave. Because yeah. I can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> so are you encountering water a lot in, in your access routes? Around here, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's not too many spots uh, that I, you know, it's just deer, no humans, the average human isn't going to cross water. Yeah. So I wear hip waders and I got a pair of waist waders. I haven't got neoprene chest waders. I got no problem wearing them. They're super warm and comfy, you know? Yeah. And, you know, if I sweat, I'm not going to freeze to death. So it's like a trade off. I take them off and it's like dumping water out from sweat, but hey, I was warm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's my problem is the reason I don't, the only time I will wear rubber boots is if I know that I have an access route that is going to cross water like a, a crick or yeah. um, into mud or something like that. But for the most part, I'm pretty lucky. You know, I'm, I, yeah. I hunt some river bottom ground. So unless it rains, that's the only time it's wet, but yeah. my feet for some reason 
get cold in the rubber boots, no matter how yeah. many pairs of socks or what the sock combination is. But I, so now I do what you do. I have the, I, I wear my, my, uh, hiking boots. I wear, yep. um, uh, some wool socks and then I put a booty, uh, over top of it. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it it works so well that I I never I I shouldn't say never, but I hardly ever wear rubber boots anymore. Yeah, and, and when I do wear rubbers, you because know, I do got to cross like knee highs. I think I have a pair of dry shots. They're they're kind of heavy and cheap, but I'll wear the still my lightweight wool sock. But it's kind of annoying because it, the it, the boots so sloppy on on my feet. But when I get to a tree, I'll take them off. And I'll put like a, a just another light pair of socks on, yeah, because they don't breathe, and that seems to actually work better than a thick pair of socks yeah. for me. Yeah. So, uh, lastly, here let's talk about your uh, what what bow are you shooting right now? I got a carbon icon, Botech carbon icon. You like it? I um, I bought it. Last, I was having shoulder issues last year. I was going on elk hunt. And I, I couldn't even pick up my bow just to lift up the shoe. So my wife gave me to go ahead to buy a new bow. And I was literally looking for the lightest bow because I was leaving for Montana in like two months. And I was like, I need a bow. And I went and shot one of the micro bows, was it a gearhead. It was gearhead. small. Yep. Yeah, I, I got a 29-inch rolling. I just didn't like it. I'm like, this is changing too much. Yeah. Maybe if I had more time behind the bow, it, it would have worked. But. I, I'm I'm on crunch time. You know, I haven't really shot in like six months. I, I need a bow. I shot a bear divergent, which is super short, um, a little too short. It was 30 inch. I, I didn't like that. And then I went to a shop that had these uh, carb the Botex. I was like, I picked it up and I had old diamond carbon riser, carbon knight whatever riser back in the day. I was like, I forgot about these. I, I picked it up. And I was like, throw a quiver and, and a you know, stabilizer on there just for the weight. They put it on there. I'm like, sold. Let's pay cash for it right there. And <laughs> believe it or not, it's a phenomenal bow uh, for what I spent maybe a, a day and a half tuning it. And I was shooting seven yards with broadheads, yeah. like instantaneous, out of the box, basically. I'm like, wow, that never works out. So plus. <laughs> so and that's I, your bow Montana, right now. Yeah. yeah, and for Montana, I mean, you know, anybody that's been out west, you're walking a lot, walking a lot, and I'm glad I had a light bow. Like, you know, for bow, for deer hunting around here, I threw a little more weight on it because it's too light without the quiver on, you know, but it's still nice to be able just to walk with a lightweight bow. Yeah, I feel you, <laughs> it's man. It's great, and it's, and it's, I don't use, like, I hate wearing gloves on the riser, and I'll just wear fingers gloves on my bow hand. You know, I have a little hand warm in my pocket, and I see a deer, and you know, I'll grab the riser. In a few minutes, it's it's not cold, you know. So that's a another added bonus. Yeah. All right. So what's your uh, what's your arrow broadhead setup? Uh, day six. Yep. Three fifty spines, and I'm shooting radical archery designs. Um, I shoot their titanium three blade and their Mad Mad four blade. I like four blades. Yeah, I do too. Uh, big cut four blade. There's just something about them, you yeah. know. What's the uh, what's the grains on your broadhead? 100s or 125s? Uh, this setup, they're 100s. Okay. Um, just the way they spec out uh, with the hour to hour. I'm kind of 
four line like my hours are kind of cut short just to get work with this bow because I had the hours and I got the bow. I'm like I'm not buying more hours, so the hours are kind of short um, and a little a little soft. So with the 125, so I put the 100s on there and it was you know money. Yeah, so I'm like sweet. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'll tell you this. One of my favorite, I don't know if it's brands or is is the day six arrows those things are freaking awesome and i shoot yeah tanks and i shoot the uh 275s uh Mm -hmm. and so it's the it splits uh, i think they just came out with them last year but it's it's right in uh the middle of what the uh, their offerings were last year so i set Mm -hmm. the uh 275 and i think my total arrow weight was like 540 or something like that yeah so that's a that's a good arrow weight for you know i'm i'm thinking i'm at like four 40 to 450 somewhere around there yeah i shoot four fletch um i do too i think somewhere around there and it's it says just a well but hour like brian you know he i like his you know everything that he's doing over there yep. it's nice absolutely he's been on, and he's been on this and podcast have, before too yeah he's you know good dude no uh, yep I've never met him personally but just a little bit i talked to him and and some social media interaction good dude yeah, absolutely. Um, and then let's see. So we've talked about you, you're a four fletch guy. Yes. Yeah, me too. I uh, just uh, I, I don't know why, but someone I, someone told me one time, uh, man, you know, four fletch does this, and I'm just like, okay, you know, uh, I'm gonna do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was always like I said I shot five inch, three flats with a massive helical because I've, I've always liked the slick tricks. I shot them for years, yeah. But they required a lot of drag. The four blades, the, the Magnum blades. Yep. Um, so I shot the five. I went to a, like a, a five inch uh, with a helical three uh, three fletch, with a massive helical. And then with the four fletch, I went with a, a smaller fletch. It's probably like the same amount of surface area as a three fletch. You know, uh, five inch fletch. It just makes it a little more compact sitting in the quiver. Than a giant, massive, you know, and they're a little bit more stiffer. Yeah. So it kind of, it's nice. Yeah. You know, I shot four fletch competing. I shot really stiff arrow, 3D arrow. So I would, I ran a four fletch just for extra drag. So like my, my fletching was already set up for him. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this straight four fletch. And it was like right out of the box. The four blade were just grouping better than the, the three fletch helicons. Like, up, oh, sold. Yeah. <laughs> See, I I like the I know what you're talking about on the four blade, but I shoot the uh, the wasp uh, boss four blade, and that those yeah. those man, I, there's something about them that I just really like. Now they're not a huge, they're more of yeah. a, I guess you would call a micro head or something like that. Yeah, but they had a, they have them in 100, and and so my like when for when I go elk hunting, I want a fixed blade. And so I'll yeah. probably shoot a fixed blade depending on if I draw or not this year. Uh, yeah. I'll probably stick with a fixed blade, that boss four blade. And then after that, uh, if I don't draw that unit, I'll probably go back to, uh, uh, my jackhammers as a, yeah. I mean, I, I, I took the four blade one inch cause I changed out the blades on a madman. So I took a one inch four blade for elk hunting last year and I was also shooting, I actually had a, a three blade one inch for super windy days. And I noticed a night and day difference. I mean, you got the biggest cut in the world, broadhead. If you can't actually hit what you're aiming at, it's pointless. It's useless. Yeah. So 
I was comfortable with shooting a one-inch three-blade. I mean, I was shooting, I mean, not the two-mine horn, but I was shooting at 70 yards, I mean, five-inch groups with broadheads Wow! before I went to Montana with those three blades. Four blades is a little bit bigger because you're planting a little bit more, but I'm like, dude, these things are just insane. Yeah. It's like I kind of, you know, and I hunt the salt marsh a lot, and I got in the ground hunting in the salt marsh. And I actually had two of those arrows in my quiver because it's always windy. And the wind drift with that three blade was minimal at best at distance. You know, at 50 yards, I'd have no problem pulling that one inch three blade out and letting the rip. Yeah. Because I know I'm going to hit and I know I'm going to hit that pie plate. So it doesn't matter how many cuts you have. It's in the lungs that deer's going to die. Yeah. That's a fact, man. That's a fact. Throughout the years, has there um, been a product that you that you have in your bag and that you've kept in your bag throughout the years or a product on your bow or whatever that is just, Hey man, I, I feel very confident with this product and I'm going to continue to use it in, uh, f- until something better comes along. You know, um, I've been shooting the same release for a few years now. It's a, cause I, I shoot, uh, a, it's not a hint. It's called a, it's a, it's a Wayland sucker. It's, a, it's like a spike release. There's no moving parts. Because I had releases break on me, tr- calipers fail and stuff like that. So this release has no moving parts. Like I have to manipulate it to get to go off either back tension or kind of curl in my ring finger. And that thing's just, a, you know, it's just a great tool. I got a little strap, like a leather strap for it. And I've tried other releases. I always come back to this release. Yeah. As much as I'm like, I'm going to shoot a, I'm going to shoot a thumb trigger. This way I can like make it happen. I always come back to this hooker release. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just one of the things like, it's so, you know, simple, stupid. And it just, it works for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's easy to pull back, you know, 65 pounds. It's an easy draw. Uh, the leather strap takes the weight and I can let down. Like I'm, I'm never, you know, in a hurry and it's a release. You can't really punch it. Like I've drawn back on deer and try to rush a shot and the release is like, Nope, you're not relaxed. You're not focused enough. So it's like, the shot won't go off, which saves me from making a bad shot. So yeah. I'll, I'll keep using it as long as, you know, it doesn't break or I lose it, you know? Yeah. But it seems beat up. I mean, it looks like it got run over by a concrete <laughs> truck. <laughs> yeah. That's the, I, I got a couple products like that. I think on, on one episode, I talk about a grunt tube that I, I had for so, several years and I lost it and I was pissed because nothing sounded like it. Um, yeah. r- rip cord. There it is. Ripcord arrow rest. Yeah. For some reason, man, I just love that thing, and I, I, I don't know, man. I there's a lot of really good uh, products out there, but for some reason, I've just been kind of loving ripcord. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, looking at my bow now, I've had the same five pin sight. When I worked at Cabela's, I got it at the, like the bargain bin, and that thing's been on every bow I think I've had. I, I mean, I've won tournaments with it. It's nothing fancy. It's just a small pin. The pins are bright. The light always lights up. And it's like, I'll just keep using it. Yeah. I mean, I've got a black old sight sitting on here. I got a, a two spot hog sitting on my bench. And I have a, I think it's a true glow or a covert or whatever. It's, you know, it's basically a true glow knockoff or a true glow cousin. Yeah. It's a $40 sight at best, maybe, maybe 50 Yeah. And it's just works. Awesome. You know, it's like, keep it simple that's a fact man confidence confidence is key when you're equipment 
Yeah. You know, if you're second guessing it, 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 it the, you know, I mean, I tried single pin sliders and I always go back to a fixed pin. Yeah. And it's just, you know, especially for whitetail. I mean, I took an elk hunting 70 yards. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot an elk 80 yards. I mean, I probably could, but that's a, that's a hike, man. Shooting 80 yards in an animal. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. I feel you, man. Uh, I'm a, I'm the same way, man. Confidence in the equipment, and if it uh, until it fails me or I find something that just blows my mind, uh, I I typically keep using it. So uh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and, and BS about gear yeah, with me. Fun. And uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. Yeah, you too, man.